Hello, listeners of the ASI Podcast. First show of 2019. Episode 20. And this would be season 6. My name is Rasham. Humbled and honored to talk to my friend Jay Stringer about his new book, Unwanted. Kicking it off with a Seattle local punk rock a little bit here. MXPX. Oh man, what a way to kick off the year. Important interview. You're old enough to know it's not your fault. You're strong enough to face your darkest conflict. And now you're walking from your nightmare, and now you're fighting back. Nothing will survive when you. Jay, when I've been having the same conversation with my accountability partner, with my recovery group for 15 years, something ha- isn't working. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so I think that that's the, what people are really wanting to say is, I want a different conversation with my friend, with my pastor, with my therapist that I've been having. I know the outcome of what happens every time I binge on this thing. Uh, One singer and songwriter says it this way. He says, every gambler knows that to lose is what you're really there for. And so I think that that's one of the big shifts that I'm wanting to take within this book is uh, a lot of us think that unwanted sexual behavior or sex addiction is an escape. Uh, but I would say it's far more about reconfirming judgments about ourselves. So rather than pursuing it for some type of relief, we're actually pursuing it for the purpose of judgment. I hate myself, and here's evidence for why I hate myself and why I'll never do anything creative, why I'll never be able to have a relationship that works. And so uh, over a lifetime, you fashion this idol that actually stares back at you and says, you really are a piece of crap. Here's a pretty entitled, broken man uh, that doesn't know how to get through the difficulties in his marriage or his life without outsourcing it to a type of fantasy structure where someone looks really subordinate to him. And I think that that's the invitation, is to say, what if you gave up kind of believing that you're a piece of crap? If you actually saw how beautiful, how creative, um, how awe-inspiring your life could become, something in you would have to change. And I think we know that. Uh, and so I, I think that that's the, that's the meaning, that's the kindling, is let's actually engage you there, not into filtering, not into 12 steps, accountability, but really saying, no, we need to highlight and amplify this core <laughs> right. reality of your life. Strong enough to face your darkest conflict But now you've woken from your nightmare And now you're fighting back Nothing could survive when you attack This road to healing Hurts more than anything Now that you're on fire Your voice is like the wind Now that you're on fire Let life begin again Now that you're on fire A new day
Jay Stringer, once again on the podcast. Uh, last time we talked, you were in the process of creating this this work, um, and it's finished. It's finished. Yes. Yeah. Thank you for having me back on. You bet. The title is uh, Unwanted, How Sexual Brokenness Reveals Our Way to Healing. Right on. That was what you were kind of... Last time we talked, you didn't have a title yet. I didn't have a title. I think it was something like the gift of our addiction or something like that. Right. We had no title. So uh, they stuck with unwanted due to, I use this phrase throughout the book, that's unwanted sexual behavior. Right. And so rather than it just being, I'm an addict or, um, but really trying to invite people into saying, is there any dimension of your life that at the end of the day you wish wasn't true of you? Uh, so it was an unwanted sexual behavior. Right. So is what we were trying to go for. And that's where most folks enter into some form of healing or therapy when it comes to their, I mean, me, (laughs) a big example, you know, going into a counselor's office and going, I have this unwanted behavior that just won't go away. Yeah. keeps. I felt like I was, it was controlling me, I wasn't controlling it, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And there's a lot of, a lot of, uh, variables going on and that's what I'm, I geek out on behavioral science stuff uh-huh. so I'm really excited about because I remember you were talking about the research that yeah. you uh, teamed up with a college yeah I had uh, some faculty and staff of New York University handle okay. the analytics associated with it because my training does not prepare me to be a researcher but essentially we kind of went through some of the findings together and they analyzed it all right yeah interesting and you did a, uh, a survey, mm-hmm. um, and how many, how many folks filled that we out? We got just over 3,800, so really, really sizable, great sample size. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Actually, after our first conversation, I linked that to my okay. survey page as well. Okay, yeah. I guess hopefully I threw a few more in there. Yeah, so I mean, one of the reasons why we just decided to do research was most of what's out there basically reconfirms that pornography, infidelity are major issues in our world today. So that's where you get the stats and literally like half a million dollars spent on research to basically say uh, 57% of our pastors, 64% of youth pastors about a th- are dealing or have dealt with pornography. About a third of marriages will encounter infidelity. So most of the time when research is done, it basically just concludes that this is a real big problem in our world yeah, today. Yeah. And so I wanted to move the needle just a bit to be able to say, how do we actually understand the why that's actually driving these really astronomical numbers? And so... Uh, that was the decision to do research is why don't we just ask some of the people that are struggling with pornography struggling with the same recurring fantasies uh, that they've been dealing with probably since they were uh, you know pre-adolescence and what if we just asked them to tell us a little bit about their story right. uh, and then we would get kind of data and patterns from that data that we could then return back to the people that were struggling to aid their freedom Right, and that's behavioral science. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Why do we do the things that we do? Yeah, exactly. and what are the associations and correlations between those things? Yeah, um, there's a lot of talk recently in the last and part of this season of of shows I'm doing, season six, season um, six, about season six. Congrats! And uh, it, and it was really me getting really curious about the psychological community, um, saying things like. Stop calling it addiction. Start calling it an intimacy disorder. 
-hmm. But it very much feels like addiction. It feels like, okay, a really, and, and this is where I go with like the defining addiction is mm -hmm. Webster's Dictionary has a pretty, you know, pretty easy, like it's just a really bad habit. Yeah. Something you yeah. do, you don't want to do, you keep mm -hmm. doing addiction. Yeah. Right? So, how do you how do you process there's you know the approach of someone coming in whether they have an addiction or not and then you start getting into the the ways that you had a hashtag that you were using to market the book a little bit uh, yeah. listen to your lust yeah T talk about that a little bit so listen to your lust is basically something that came out of the research findings uh, one of the primary things that we found if I could just summarize some of the research was that any of our unwanted sexual behavior, pornography use, uh, infidelity, buying sex, and the very specifics of what we seek out on the internet, like what we're actually putting into uh, different porn sites, the, the videos that we're pursuing, that stuff is not random at all. Uh, it was a direct reflection of the parts of our story that remained unaddressed. And so uh, what we found was that if we could actually become really curious about why is it that this particular porn fantasy, why is it that this particular sexual fantasy is such a recurring dimension of our, li right. of our life, right. then we could actually put ourselves in a much better position to understand the why. And that's what we were trying to do with Listen to Your Lust, is basically... Uh, if you are willing to listen to your lust, your lust will have so much to teach you about where you've been and what you're currently going through. And this is just such a radically different paradigm than what we've been given. So if it is kind of accountability groups or filtering software, most of us have been trained to kind of dart our eyes, bounce our eyes, suppress that lust. Uh -huh. uh, or if you kind of come from a more liberal perspective, you might just be able to say, engage this, indulge this, as long as it's not hurting anyone. And so what I'm trying to do in Unwanted is really carve out a middle path to be able to say, what are these things actually revealing about who we are? And if we right. can listen to our lust, then we're actually going to learn quite a bit about who we are and things that we've never had to encounter or face in our life up until that point. Yeah, it's like bringing us into or drawing us into a deeper part of ourselves. Yeah. That's something uh, Seth Taylor, uh, yeah. uh, one guy you went to school so, with, right? Yes. And he, when he was on the show, he said there, there's so much, he's the word negatively charged. Mm -hmm. So lust is negatively charged, yes. right? I was in an antique store somewhere, and there was this old antique picture of, probably in some church or something, and it said, yeah. it was a sin, it said sins, or seven sins, and then <laughs> yeah. lust, and there was all these imagery, you know, from old 40s or 20s, or yeah. whatever it was, yeah. and just this, ew, you know, you're just not ew. supposed to do yeah. that. Yeah, totally. Cleavage and all that, right? <laughs> <laughs> just, yeah. And so, so that, that, that shame factor moves in, and then we don't really deal with it. I think that's mm -hmm. that's brilliant what you said in, in the book as well. It's like there's two ways of not really dealing with this. Mm -hmm. Number one is the kind of really heavy religious approach of, yeah, you know, get an accountability partner, beat yourself up, call it a relapse. That's another one, right? Yeah. Um, or just pretend that it's fine and everything's fine and make sure, you know, have a talk with your wife and guys are going to look at porn, so she's just going to have to deal with that. Yeah. Um, but both scenarios don't deal with the, the heart 
issue, do they? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, like sexual brokenness in our lives is inevitably going to create some type of crisis in our marriage, in our life, in our yeah. work life. And I, I think part of what I'm coming to realize is just like sexual brokenness, unwanted sexual behavior, these are all really normal issues in life. Yeah. And so, you know, as a follower of Christ, like I, I acknowledge that, you know, all have sinned, that these things are just normal. Um, we've all done it. We've all fallen short of glory. And at the same time, there's something about this that is alien that um, isn't the best version of who we were intended to be within our sexual life. And so I think that that's the dual approach that I'm really trying to invite people to is like, yes, there's something very broken, but also something so normal about yeah. these things that you are encountering. And yeah. it's not just you, you're yeah. not the weirdo. Yeah, the freak, the pervert, right? Yeah, and I and I think that that's the that's part of the invitation of our brokenness in life is to say there's some really difficult, uncomfortable truths about who we are, mm -hmm. um, and every one of us is going to have to encounter those things, face those things, and realize that we can come out on the other side of them. Right. Uh, so I think you know part of what I'm trying to say is just don't waste this opportunity, and we yeah. waste that opportunity through a lot of hiding through acting like this isn't an issue and never getting honest with a therapist, with a good friend about what we're dealing with. But we also waste an opportunity when we just spend a lifetime in recovery and never really address uh, the war that we have with freedom, the war that we have with where we've come from and yeah. what and how to, in some ways, just learn how to regulate our own disappointment, our own difficulties that we're facing in life without outsourcing them to something like pornography. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And when it comes to getting help, too, one of the things I've realized in, in coming from the Christian's perspective, uh, th it seems like a lot of Christians have a longer road to travel when it comes to some of this stuff. Some who are, you know, occasionally looking at pornography will shame the crap out of themselves, calling it addiction because it's unwanted. But I don't know, man. Like, you know, it's like one of those things. I've had conversations with people. Like this, Jesus doesn't talk a whole lot about masturbation in the Bible. Mm -hmm. It's not even mentioned in the Bible. So then we got people in religious circles who are making up rules that aren't in the Bible, yeah. and that's where I'm like, you know, wait, right? Like, yeah. let's take a step back mm -hmm. and stop pretending like not all men, especially, aren't dealing with this on a very surface life-altering level so where do you go with some of those folks who like i'm addicted jay mm -hmm. i looked at porn twice last month yeah well, well i think that that's, that's what we're finding is that we i mean we haven't had a lot of middle ground even in our language to begin to talk about it and so right. i i am not convinced that uh the amount of addiction stats that are out there are very accurate. I, mean, right. I think that there it's big business. Um, yeah. If you go to an intensive, you can spend you know, 30, 40,000 and I don't know how many weeks time. Uh, so I, I think that there are definitely people that are struggling with an addiction, but I would say the the great majority of us have unwanted sexual behavior. And mm -hmm. so part of what we found in the research this time around was that uh, one of the key findings for men was that men who lacked purpose in their lives were seven times more likely to escalate their use of pornography. Yeah. And so one of the ways that I have come to think about pornography is just the issue of that of a squatter. 
Um, and so when you think about a squatter, a squatter comes into a residence that they really can tell that there's no one home. Mm -hmm. And so when we look at most of the stats today around uh, you know, television time, I think the average American watches four to five hours of television. Uh, we spend like 11, 12 hours connected to media. And so what happens to most of us is that pornography, unwanted sexual behavior, TV is just something that we go to uh, when we're feeling bored, when we're feeling angry. And so it becomes the thing that we allow into our lives rather than really saying, no, this is what I want my life to actually look like and to be. Uh, and if I'm going to kind of stop my use of pornography, then I'm going to have to have a lot better solutions for how to deal with my anger, how to deal with my rejection, how to yeah. deal with some of the sorrows that have afflicted my life. Yeah, exactly. Disappointment. Yeah. You know, growing older. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. that, that feeling that most all of us have at one point or another that, you know, kind of existential, uh, is, it, is it worth it, you know? Uh -huh. uh, broken dreams we think that I was in the pizza business for many years and there's a few times I didn't want to be I, I was a jerk the pizza in the business yeah the pizza yeah. business okay. and it was you know you train people it's not that hard but there's some people it's just like hey you know this is probably isn't your deal you know yeah. and that's okay yeah but find something like what you want yeah. and, and are you willing to shed something that you may have wanted mm -hmm. to, to gravitate towards something yeah. even yeah. better and I think Russ what you're really highlighting is like most of us are really creative people yeah. and there's something really dormant in our lives with creativity and exactly. so what ends up happening to us is that our neural pathways default to the same things that we've always done yeah. and so if I mean I, I, you know a lot of what I hear in my practice might be if a guy is my age, 35, uh, he grew up with like something like Girls Gone Wild, E-Entertainment Television, right. and that was, I mean, that, that was how he got through most of the evenings as an adolescent was masturbating right. and watching Howard Stern. Like there's, there's so many of those stories that I hear on a regular basis. And then, you know, they come into my office 20, 30 years later and they're doing the same exact thing in the same patterns, they're in the same ruts. And so I think that that's the thing of, is this an addiction? Yes, but it, it's killing something of your creativity. Yeah, exactly. And so that invitation to say sexual brokenness can mean a lot of things. It can mean that you're going to be alone for the rest of your life. It can mean that you ruined your marriage. But it can also mean that like now is the time to really move on some of the creativity, some of the life that has been so, so dormant. Listen to your lust. Yeah, and and realize it's pulling us deeper into learning about ourselves exactly and what we're good at, where like where we go from here, mm -hmm. um, instead of just leaving the hazard lights on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sitting yeah. in the middle of the road, you know, not doing much is so true, man. As I've done this work for for years, it's important to realize this isn't a boys thing, is it, Jay? Mm -hmm. Yeah, most of the stats that I read these days are about 30% of porn users are now women. Yeah. And they're as addicted as the guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it functions a little differently. Some of your research I found interesting on that as well, right? Like hiding and, and, and things mm -hmm. of this nature. Yeah, I mean, just because uh, I think part of what we found in the research was that women who were dealing with high levels of shame uh, uh, were 546 times more likely to pursue pornography. Uh, and that's just, that's a huge right. number. Yeah. Um, and so I think comparatively, men were about 300 times more likely to pursue 
unwanted sexual behavior when they were feeling shame or pursued pornography when they were feeling shame. Uh, and I think part of the discrepancy there is just that we haven't talked about that issue, that it's always been considered this is a man's issue, women really don't struggle with that kind of thing. And what we're finding uh, is it's, it's very, very much a, a female issue as well. So yeah. I think that that's part of just the work that you do, the work that we all do to kind of say like, no, we, we need to address that this is, a, this is a problem shaping not just male lives, but female lives as well. Yeah. So as, as much as men feel like they're the weird one, um, yeah, women are too, mm-hmm. you know, even more so, and, and they're not alone either, yeah. right? Yeah. I think this is a very, really important uh, distinction to make for the ladies out there. Compulsion to creativity is something that I, I called season five of the podcast was a, uh, going back a little bit to, to realizing purpose. Um, the guy you're saying that that's you know masturbating or grew up on it, mm-hmm. and then it turns into compulsive behavior. One thing that I, I found positive with some of those guys, and I'm like, the energy that's released, or the energy to do it, or even to hide. Yeah. You know, the 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 massive amount of energy that it takes to live a double life. Um, there's there's creative energy in there. But but most of all, there's energy that can be harnessed yes. if we can just realize that taking that creative part of us. When I ever when I interviewed uh, Paul Young, our mm-hmm. author of The Shack, yeah. he's like, I said, well, some people are creative and some people are just kind of, and he's like, no, everyone's creative, everybody is. Yeah. They, some people may do it in different ways. Some people are engineer creative, and some people are ink blot, you know. Rorschach test kind of creative but we're all creative yeah. and it's, it's harnessing that energy uh, from compulsion to creativity have you seen some of that in the people that you've, you've helped over yeah, the years? totally I mean I think one of the ways that I think about this just theologically is you know Isaiah 44 uses this imagery of like a hunk of wood and you take this hunk of wood and with half of it, you carve it into this like ornate structure that you worship. And then with the other half, you're using it to cook your food with, to keep the campfire warm. And so I think every addiction, every unwanted sexual behavior has that kind of dual component of there's something kind of that you've done that's really creative here. That's yeah. really awe inspiring in terms of what you've built, why you do certain things that you do, the order, the sequencing, the rhythms, the rituals that you're creating. But then there's also something about it that's so destructive that you're putting your worth in front of, and then it slowly kind of, you put your trust in it over a lifetime, and then yeah. at the end of the day, you, you have so little to show of your life. And right. so, uh, I mean, a lot of what we find with um, just unwanted sexual behavior is that there's often a lot of grief uh, involved in people's lives. And, uh, you know, so one of the examples that we, one of the findings that we found was that uh, people who were the most significant users of pornography use had sexual abuse scores that were nearly 24% higher than those that did not view pornography at all. Uh-huh. And we can talk about that in more detail, but in terms of creativity, um, part of what they're doing throughout this unwanted sexual behavior is they're remixing a lot of the trauma cocktails of bonding, of uh, arousal, of stress, of shame. The very same things that they felt in their abuse is the things that they're reenacting much later in life. Yeah. And so part of the challenge to these types of individuals is to say, um, when you're feeling 
down, when you're feeling isolated, uh, what does it mean for you to actually uh, pick up a book, pick up your pen to draw something, uh, to take out your computer and write a haiku, to write poetry? And that's what we find a lot is when people are able to kind of take some of the pain, some of the difficulties and create art out of it. Um, or to be able to say like, I don't want to do, I don't want to binge on porn all weekend. Yeah. So I, I had this mountain bike when I was eight years old that I loved that thing. And I met with these guys in the backwoods and hey, I, I know Issaquah is you know, a very short drive away from Seattle. And this weekend, I'm actually rounding up three or four guys to go do uh, some of the trails. And so those are the moments where they, they realize that there is so much energy that could be used unto shame and unto a lot of failure, or it could be used to a lot of creativity that would actually bring a lot of goodness to their own life or right. to others. And that becomes that essential choice of what do I want to do with this one kind of beautiful life that I've been given? Yeah. And I think that that's where the existential place comes in of saying, I know the outcome of what happens every time I binge on this thing. Uh, one singer and songwriter says it this way. He says, every gambler knows that to lose is what you're really there for. And so I think that that's one of the big shifts that I'm wanting to take within this book is uh, a lot of us think that unwanted sexual behavior or sex addiction is an escape, uh, but I would say it's far more about reconfirming judgments about ourselves. So rather than pursuing it for some type of relief, we're actually pursuing it for the purpose of judgment. Yeah. And so I think most of us at the end of our lives know this thing doesn't bring me satisfaction, it doesn't bring me joy, and I think that that's part of the point, is let me actually take into my own hands the right to kind of just say, I don't like myself, I hate myself, and here's evidence for why I hate myself and why I'll never do anything creative, why I'll never be able to have a relationship that works. And so, uh, over a lifetime, you fashion this idol that actually stares back at you and says, you really are a piece of crap. And I think that that's the invitation is to say, what if you gave up kind of believing that you're a piece of crap yeah. uh, and you actually saw that there's something, I love what Paul Young says, like every, if you actually saw how beautiful, how creative, um, how awe-inspiring your life could become, something in you would have to change. And I think we know that. Yeah, exactly. That's the expounding on meaning too. Um, Daniel Pink is a guy who wrote motivational books and he yeah. has a new book called The Whole New Brain. Okay. And that's one of the things he talks about is that he believes that the future will belong to those who can, who can access that right brain, meaning maker part of ourselves going forward. Yeah. The creative parts of ourselves. Because a lot of these, you know, a lot of these jobs in the future are going to be done by machines yeah. or outsourced, you know. So, people who can create meaning. Sometimes I get, uh, I've been doing this long enough, I'll have people who want to have a conversation about uh, evolution or, or theology. Okay. And they'll try and engage me in some kind of uh, debate on those things. And I used to get into those, those debates, but now I've realized that this person is looking for some kind of meaning to kind of connect the dots, right? Yeah. And that's the beautiful thing about theology is it's faith-based I talk about <laughs> punk theology. It's, it's faith-based stuff. 
and there's not there's a lot of writings and stuff that we can point to in history, but there's not a whole lot of evidence for any of it. Mm-hmm. So where are we going with the meaning? Why do we connect these things? I like evolutionary biology, right? Do I believe that we all evolved from monkeys? I don't know. Am I a creationist evolutionist? I have no idea what's up there when yeah. it all happened, but. I can ask those questions to pull meaning from folks because that's where they're at, right, Jason? It's not so much that, that guys like yourself or therapists are coming in to fix. You're not in, into fixing people as much as you're kind of, it's almost like you're helping them create a little kindling so they can light that fire. Right? Exactly. Yeah. So well said, Rick. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I mean, I think that that's, that's what we found in the listen to your lust thing is that, uh, and I was, we were talking a little bit before the show started, just that one of the things that I love about your listeners, and I'm not inviting them all to email me, <laughs> um, is that most, a lot, I've heard a lot from your listeners through the years that uh, they will basically say, here's my porn fantasy, here's the recurring fantasy, uh, now basically interpret it. Right, like I'm some me of, or something. Like I'm the porn whisperer all of a sudden. <laughs> right. um, and, I, and that's, I mean, I do consultations around that work occasionally, but I think part of what I'm trying to say is, no, you do it. Yeah. You, you write down the story of your life. You get a sense of what were some of the primary wounds that you went through? What were some of the primary kind of tragedies that you survived? At what point in your life did you begin to lean on unwanted sexual behavior, whether that was buying sex, infidelity, porn? Uh, and begin to connect those dots between how, how does pornography use allow you to either repeat something terrible that happened or actually allow you to reverse it. And so I, what I'm really inviting people into is, no, use the kindling of your own life to make meaning. Yeah. Um, and I think when we do that, we put ourselves in a much greater position to, to find healing, to find the transformation that we're seeking. So one of the examples that we found in the research was that uh, men who looked at pornography dealing with like women who were teenagers, college students, uh, they fantasized about like women that were kind of a smaller body type, more petite, uh, maybe a certain race that suggested to them some level of subservience. So what we did with the analytics was said, if that's your porn fantasy, uh, what are some of the things that are associated with that that actually go on to predict and are the key drivers of that? And what yeah. we found was that these guys had very strict fathers. Uh, they were dealing with uh, high levels of a lack of purpose in life, and they had really significant levels of shame. Mm-hmm. And so as a therapist reading that, it's really easy to connect the dots between, you know, here's this guy that, let's just say, he hates his job, Um, He comes home and he's really a miserable man to be around, but then he makes bids for his wife to have sex. She turns him down. And then at the end of the night, he's so miserable about who he is and what he's dealing with. And so what he goes on to do is to look at pornography and he looks for some teenager that's really alive seemingly for him. And again, you have to make sense of the meaning of that scene isn't just about you finding someone available to you. That's, there's something about your own entitlement as a man that's playing in, is that my whole life doesn't work the way that I want it to, but in pornography I can get exactly what I want when I want it. Yeah. And that's such a powerful drug that we pursue. And yeah. so part of the healing for that guy isn't to say I battle with lust and I need to get into 12 steps, 
No, he needs to confront his desire for revenge, his desire for anger, and address, yeah, yeah, yeah. and address some of the difficulties that he's dealing with. But the problem is, is that so much of what we've done in Christian circles and beyond is just like make it a lust issue. So this is just a horny guy. He's got high testosterone, yeah. libido, and all of that stuff might be true. But what we never have to deal with is that here's a pretty entitled, broken man uh, that doesn't know how to get through the difficulties in his marriage or his life without outsourcing it to a type of fantasy structure where someone looks really subordinate to him. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I think that that's the, that's the meaning, that's the kindling, is let's actually engage you there, not into filtering, not into 12 steps, accountability, but really saying, no, we need to highlight and amplify this core <laughs> right. reality of your life. My friend Derek brought up a, an interesting uh, observation to what you just said. Um, Derek, one of my punk theology friends, said um, he was thinking about the, the analogy that Jesus uses with the, with the seeds, right, the sower, and how much of the seed, like the way a lot of Christians or religious folks will interpret that as it has something to do with whether someone's going to heaven or hell or not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but what I think is really being said here is, is what is the hard ground? You know, Who are the birds that are eating the seed? The purpose of the story is that Christ wants to see that seed grow, mm-hmm. wants us to have full and rich lives with you know, in, infusing meaning in them. But when they fall on the stony ground, when they you know, get trampled or eaten by birds, yes. these are all ways that we, we tend to think about ourselves, right? What do you what do you think about yeah, that the, analogy? Well, in the book, what what I I structure it with three questions, and the three questions are: How did I get here? Why do I stay? And how do I get out of here? So, uh, to use the seed analogy, I mean, most of us, a lot of us, have grown up in pretty rocky family systems, yeah. uh, where good seeds couldn't have grown. So, what we talk about, what I talk about in the book, is that uh, a lot of these families are rigid and disengaged. Uh, some of them have emotional enmeshment issues, um, and then sometimes in life we go through trauma and things like childhood sexual abuse. And yeah. so what ends up happening is that the soil of our sexual lives that gets planted uh, it doesn't, it doesn't allow for a lot of goodness and growth and maturity to form. Yeah. And so much later in life, what we're finding is that we, we're actually repeating a lot of those destructive patterns. That if you grew up in a very rigid home, uh, you're going to deal with a lot of anger because you have some type of angry, potentially asshole of a father, of a mother that is literally driving the family with their rage. Um, And what do you do with that powerlessness and that rage is that porn becomes something really easy to pursue because it gets you a a type of escape, but then you also get a type of revenge in that act as well. Um, So I think that that's part of what we're seeing is that all of us have pretty rocky soil that we've had to deal with throughout our lives. Um, And that's it's not to blame our parents, but it is to study the conditions through which all that stuff got formed and to say, if that's not the type of life I want, I, I need to move. I need to create some different soil for myself um, so that something good can really grow. All right. You bring up a couple times something really important, and that's childhood sexual assault. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a statistic that was going around a few years ago that something like 80% of people that struggle with unwanted sexual behavior have some form 
of childhood sexual assault. And I was trying to find, because I heard that, that stat brought up a lot, and so I did a deep dive and tried to find out where that came from. I believe it's Patrick Carnes' finding that okay. about 80%, yeah. four out of five people struggling with sexual addiction have some history of childhood sexual abuse. Yeah, there was also a prison, I think it was in New York, that, where they did a study on, on female prisoners. and. It, yeah, it was somewhere in the same statistics, like around 80 to 83% of women in prison had been some form of sexual assault mm -hmm. in their past. This is something, Jay, I didn't tell anyone about until I was 38 years old. Um, that's where uh, Paul Young and I kind of hit it off, because he said the same thing. He goes, oh my God, me too. Yeah. 38 was when the first time I actually told another human mm -hmm. being that I was sexually assaulted as a kid. And those voices in my head for so long, you know, kept me from dealing with it, you know? Just, if people knew this about me, it's just so weird that it, it gets in us and we have to hide, it's just, you feel like you have to hide. Yes. Speak to that a little bit, that kind of feeling like survival mode kicks in. Some part of our animal monkey brain ego jumps in there and says, I've got you, buddy. Yeah. But it doesn't, Got us, does it? Yeah, I, I mean, I, it, part of where, if we're if we're talking about childhood sexual abuse, one of the images that often comes up when I talk to guys about it is just like some kind of creepy guy in a white van that abducts kids. Yeah, That's exactly. the image that yeah. comes to mind. Uh, but the reality is, is that most of the abuse that happens in our life uh, comes from someone within a trusted family system. So that exactly. could be a mom, a dad, an uncle, a babysitter, an aunt. Uh, it's someone who has a neighbor, a neighbor yeah. who has access to your family. Mm -hmm. um, and so what my research showed is that what when kids got abused, they tended to go through a lot of bullying in childhood and they had moms or dads that ignored them. And so why that's so important is that if you are a kid who's uh, been picked on, if you have a, a kid that doesn't have a good attachment, uh, a good connection with your mom and your dad, a neighbor comes along, a uncle comes along and says, hey Jay, you have such a great arm. Uh, do you want to go throw the football? Yeah. That first connection is not abuse. Um, yeah, it's yeah. not... Um, genital contact. What they're doing is they're reading you so well to be able to say you grow up. You're you're in a dead family. There's so little life to your world, yeah. and so that initial involvement is let's play video games. Yeah. Uh, you have a great dress. Um, your your hair is lovely, yeah. um, and so what grooming, they're right? yeah, and that's the grooming process. Is that our bodies respond to that, and yeah. we feel oxytocin. If someone saw me for the first time and I actually felt excited. Um, so that's the first first involvement with our abusers usually is trust yeah. and oxytocin. And then as the abuse continues, uh, they don't want to do something that is going to initially scare you. Um, they're going to try and invite you in. It, that could be with pornography, that could be with something sexual, some type of sexual story. So they're watching you really closely to say, uh, is he going to respond to this? Does yeah. he enjoy this? And the moment that they get your curiosity, the moment that they have your intrigued, you're done for. Because right. how do you actually respond? Because part of you, even as a 10-year-old, might have said, something in me wanted to be there. Something yeah. in me was intrigued. 
And so once they have that, then the proper abuse can begin where they're bringing genital contact, that they're, they're maybe making threats against you, introducing you to more content. Uh, but what they're working for is not to scare you initially, but to actually bring your body some experience of pleasure. So if you feel aroused, by what you've seen because you've never seen porn or you've never seen an erect penis before. Uh, again, what do you do as a 10-year-old, a 12-year-old, a 6-year-old if yeah. you've never seen something, you feel some level of arousal within it, but then you also feel cortisol and shame and maybe yeah. they make at a, the same time. at the same time yeah. and then make a threat of, you know, Jay Russ, if you say anything, just don't, this is our little secret, or an overt threat, like there will be damage and hell for you to pay if you say anything. Yeah, yeah. And what happens to us is that that becomes the sexual template, is here's something that I feel really alive with, here's something that I feel really bonded to, but then also something that I feel aroused by, but then in the same moment, stress, cortisol, and shame. And so much later in life, what we're doing is we're remixing those trauma cocktails um, without any understanding of what we're actually remixing. And so, I mean, it's a really common thing. I have a new course out um, that is a journey into healing from unwanted sexual behavior. And the amount of emails and private messages that I get of people just saying, Jay, I had no idea that I've been masturbating to my abuse for the last 20 years. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't look like that, but when yeah, you look at some of the themes that are recurring, um, a lot of them have the same elements of the abuse. Yeah. And so I think that that's, that's what I get so angry with, um, quite frankly, in the sex addiction community, is that we spend all of our time talking about acting out behavior and trying to get people to stop doing bad things without really understanding there is massive amounts of trauma and heartache that have informed why people are doing the things that they're doing. Um, and so when we allow acting out language to eclipse sexual abuse and sexual yeah. assault, um, relapse language. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. So what we really need to have an eye for um, is really what's the reenactment that we're that we're actually re yeah. that we're perpetuating um, in our what's that sexual feeling behavior. you're trying yeah. to duplicate or yeah. identify with. I think that's one of the positive things about uh, the label intimacy disorder. I mean, that's that's where people get mind fucked, right? Yeah. I mean, you really start to tie. I heard one guy saying that, you know, the, the feeling of my heart is racing, you know, my penis is erect, this feels really good and really freaking wrong all yep. at the same time. And that, that cocktail in someone's brain, like it just doesn't go away. Exactly. You know, by saying, stop doing that or, you know, call your accountability mm -hmm. partner and then yeah. you'll be fine. Yeah. I use the analogy. I just, I'll repeat this. I don't <laughs> mind being redundant because I think it's important. Yeah. It's like the analogy of a car and the engine light comes on and rather than open the hood and find out what's going on to the engine, we reach up behind the dashboard and clip the little wire to the engine light. Oh, well, the engine light's off now. It's off. So let's, let's keep on cruising down the road. Exactly. And that's what a lot of people... I agree with you, and in in, as much as I love them, you know, th that that's what they're doing. Like you're, you're not helping so much as you're just keeping. I would even use the words, and this would probably be controversial. Well-intentioned shame, perpetuating Say more about that. Say more about what you mean. perpetuating well-intentioned shame, 
when we bring it to this kind of surface level of, well, I relapsed, I feel really bad. And that's some of the psychology too. The psychology says that the reason we feel bad when we relapse is causing a, a spinning wheel. I feel bad, I'm going to medicate. Ooh, I medicated, I feel bad, right? I, I, I want to feel good, so then yeah. I remedicate, and then the wheel keeps mm -hmm. spinning. Yeah. So the this shame wheel is perpetuated by a kind of shallow approach to unwanted sexual behavior. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, I think that people. I use money as an excuse. I'll throw this out there too. Uh, when Mars Hill was 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 going away and, and falling apart, the big church in Seattle here, mm -hmm. I was going to some groups there and. I was involved in uh, uh, redemption groups. Uh, Mike Wilkerson did some of those, and this one woman came on. It was a Facebook, thing, and she was like, kind of like trolling some folks on there and stuff. She's like, "Well, now you can go get help from a real professional." And she was like a, a, a psych student. Like I said, "Hey, I'm poor. Like the church has really helped me with this because I don't have money to do this." She goes, "That's a bullshit excuse. There is help for you out there if you seek it out." And so I set out to prove her wrong. And I found the Dawson Center in Everett, mm. which helps um, folks who uh, have childhood sexual assault. Okay. It's paid for with grants. So good. I'm getting EMDR therapy. There's a, there's a plaque on the wall that brought me to tears. I've never had a, a legal document bring me to tears before, <laughs> but that's what this exactly was. It was, a, it was a legal document signed by a bunch of people in the city of Everett in Snohomish County that said, what if we could get ahead of this? Yeah. What if we could get upstream from, you know, childhood sexual abuse and and help people before they end up in jail? Yeah. You know, the stat with women in yeah. prison. What if we could get ahead of that? That's, that's the reason the Dawson Center exists. And if it wasn't for, it's funny, if it wasn't for that woman who actually got kicked off of that thread, actually the moderators kicked her off. But if it wasn't for her, like, challenging me... Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Russ, I think what you're what you're saying so beautifully and so well is like you you took something of your defiance uh, yeah. and you you moved into creativity with it and yeah. said, Hell no, will that be everybody's story? And so I mean I think what happens to a lot of us when we're in that place is like we go into our shame, we go into just this resignation of maybe I I'm gonna you know, masturbate, I'm going to look at porn, I'm going to feel terrible about who I am, and then we just resign to that lifelong feeling. Or there's some point in our life where we actually say, kind of hell no, um, yeah. that's not the way that my story is going to end, and certainly it's not the way that everybody's story that I care about is going to end, so I'm going to go to work on behalf of other people and for myself to say, eh, I'm going to find healing. And, and I think that, that that's that kind of signature moment where our lives really radically change, yeah. um, where we're using our defiance not to go into more hiding, uh, but in some ways to prove someone wrong, but far more, um, yeah, yeah. as your tears and your grief showed, to, yeah. to find wholeness and to find comfort for a lot of the darkest seasons of our life. Exactly, yeah. Seeking wholeness is different than seeking fix me, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah. yeah, so true, man. And, and that's where I, I think that there is something broken about us. But I think that we also have to say, like, these are normal life issues that all of us are going to face. 
And so if we can begin to kind of just see, like, this is actually a stage through which the work of redemption can play out in our life. This could be the very stage that we've been waiting for to get our life back online. Like, we don't need to waste this opportunity through our own shame or through just acting like these things don't mean anything at all. Right. I'm so glad you wrote this book, Janice. It's really important work that you're you're involved in here. Um, I pray that people would, would get it, would read it with an open mind, especially those who are in churches doing volunteer work with, with folks who struggle. Um, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to come off as a guy who's poo-pooing that or I'm not shitting on that, right? Like, no. I think those people are doing good work. Uh, and part of it is their own heart wanting to see healing in themselves. And there's there's power when we can bring folks together and and move into healing together, right? Yes. But, you know, we we got to let go of some of the things that aren't working. Mm-hmm. And especially in the Christian community. Yeah. Um, my friend Craig Gross, Triple X Church. Yeah. I mean, they're really getting serious about what works and what doesn't. Yeah. And they've seen it. I mean, he's been doing this for 15 years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, let's start moving into things like what you're doing, um, what South Taylor's doing with my pilgrimage. Yes. Uh, talk a little bit more about what you're doing as a, as a group. Uh, sure. Effort. So I don't know if you saw the movie The Heart of Man. Uh, yeah. This has Dr. Dan Allen Durnett. William it's on Pino. Netflix. It's right? on Netflix. It's yeah. free right now. Uh, so they released a film last year, uh, fall of 28, fall of 2017. Um, and it's a really powerful film just around what is the heart of the father for us in the midst of some of our kind of moments of sexual brokenness and uh, so we partnered they knew that I had a book coming out and so we said what if we just partnered to actually create something that a book can't do on its own and a film can't do on its own let's actually create a program um, and create a a type of um, e-course that really invites people to get a sense of how is their story shaping their sexual life uh, and so we created a 18 episode course um, that basically helps people identify what are the key drivers that I'm facing from childhood, um, what are the things in my life right now, whether that's depression, anxiety, um, lack of purpose, uh, my needs not being met, and how do those things actually play into unwanted sexual behavior, and then what's actually the journey to freedom. So. I took the uh, research that I did and turned it into a self-assessment. And so now it's about 160 questions that you can actually go in and fill this whole thing out. And then you get a report right back to you that says, here's your core fantasies, here's your unwanted sexual behavior, and then here are the key drivers in your story, both past and present, that are shaping this. And so rather than it just being like, this is some random thing that's occurring, no, we actually have data now that says this is is actually what's informing it for you right um, and so uh, yeah 18 episodes gets you into your story you're writing your arousal template out uh, you're getting a sense of how your life with your parents uh, shaped a lot of your sexual choices so we're really teaching and guiding people into saying I, I need to address my own story and seeing what's at play here yeah so it's about a five to six month journey Um, that we have a lot of churches, small groups, accountability partners that are all using it just because people realize that the old language of just dealing with triggers, dealing with, you know, crashes, dealing with 
just acting out stuff, people actually want to go so much deeper. I think that's what I was saying with your audience. And I mean, I wrote an article a couple years ago, basically on what your sexual fantasies might say about you. And I had 120 something requests for therapy over the next month. Um, And what I think that that means is people are so insanely curious about why are they drawn to the things that they're drawn to. And as one of my friends said to me recently, he said, Jay, when I've been having the same conversation with my accountability partner, with my recovery group for 15 years, something ha- isn't working. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so I think that that's the, what people are really wanting to say is I want a different conversation with my friend, with my pastor, with my therapist that I've been having. And that's what we're finding where it's great because we're getting some of the initial feedback from folks. And that's, that's what we're finding is people are saying, I've had different conversations with my friend, with my spouse, with anybody that I've never had in my whole entire life, things that I never thought I would talk about or say. Yeah. And so these things that I once thought was a barrier to intimacy are actually the very bridge yeah. uh, that I've been waiting and my whole life for. And once you break that fear barrier too, because I think yeah. we, we don't go into those places because we're afraid. And then once we do, and, and it's like, oh, you guys don't all hate me, yeah. right? Yeah. You, I think you reject me, like the voice in our head keeps telling us. Like, yeah. No, you call it out yeah. and, and you realize when we, do that work, man. Oh, I'm not, you know, I'm not rejected like yeah. I thought I would be. Yeah. And I think it's the fear of rejection, but I think it's also we know in our guts that if I gave this up, if this is my most dependable getaway, if this is my most dependable go-to when I'm angry, uh, what am I going to do if I remove that? And so I think that, it, you know, within hiding is a lot of justification and a lot of just a sense of entitlement of this is kind of the one realm in my life that no one has access to and that's a really difficult thing to give up right yeah it's, <laughs> but it's it's beautiful that getting into it having the courage to, to talk about it to visit it you know to bring the taboo <laughs> out yeah. into the light yeah um, and, and also it's not just uh, sobriety sells I think right mm-hmm. And there's a lot of people that will go in, well, I'm coming in because I want to be sober. But it's deeper than that, and that's what your work is. Yeah. That's why it's so Yeah, important. that we're, what we're inviting people to in that the heart of man journey and in unwanted is not just freedom from unwanted sexual behavior, but what is the nature of freedom for? Because yeah. uh, most of us know what we want to stop doing, but very little of us really have some good sense of this is the direction, this is the purpose, this is the desire of my heart, and this is what I'm going to bet the whole field on to go and pursue. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Jay, thanks again, man. Thanks for being on the podcast. And uh, where can uh, folks get more in touch with what you're doing? Yeah, uh, so my website is jay-stringer.com, S-T-R-I-N-G-E-R. Right, don't forget uh, the dash. Dash, yeah. Yes. And uh, there you can find the self-assessment I talked about, the online course, and just kind of other resources that I've created. And not to beat a dead horse too much, but <laughs> sure. but the, the one thing, I, I also do surveys on my show, and there's one thing that, that I, I have asked the question have you been uh, sexually abused or molested? Mm-hmm. And I have three answers to that question. It's kind of a drop-down, multiple choice. Yes, no, some stuff happened. I'm not mm-hmm. really sure. Yeah. 
guess what most people answer some stuff happened I'm not really sure yeah so this is uh, this is also going into that mm-hmm. that yeah, space. Yeah, the, the introduction to pornography could be a form of it is a form of sexual abuse. So yeah. you, that it's usually someone with older, more knowledge than you, introducing you to something that you've never seen before, awakening something sexually. Um, and so I think that what we have to acknowledge is there there's a there's a spectrum. Some people say that like yeah, something happened with that babysitter that like we were playing a game and. You know, she showed me something, and it was really awkward, kind of weird. And the moment that we start using awkward or weird language, that's that's the language that, you know, a fifth grader might use. It's not the language of a 50-year-old man. And right. so I think that that's, our, if, we're, if we're acknowledging that something kind of weird, interesting, a little off happened, it's really good to kind of say, what what are we actually hiding within that? within a sentence like right, that. Right, right, right. Very true. Jay, thanks again. Thank you for having me, Russ. You bet. So good to see you. You bet. It's good to see you too, man. Until uh, next time, bye. A new day has begun. You are like the sun. Now that you're on fire